Welcome to Educator Forever, where we empower teachers to innovate education. Join us each week to hear stories of teachers expanding their impact beyond the classroom and explore ways to reimagine teaching and learning. Dr. Mark Anthony Gooden is the Christian Johnson Endeavor Professor in Education Leadership and Director of the Endeavor of Anti-Racist and Restorative Leadership Initiative in the Department of Organization and Leadership at Teachers College, Columbia University. Mark's research focuses broadly on culturally responsive school leadership with specific interests in principalship, anti-racist leadership, urban educational leadership, and legal issues in education. Welcome, Mark. So glad to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Lily. Glad to be here. Wonderful. Well, I always start with the same question, which is a large one. So take it in whatever direction you'd like. But can you tell us about your journey as an educator? Absolutely. I started out as a mathematics major, and I was one of those folks who wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do after college, except this was a little bit nerve wracking because it was my fourth year of college. (laughs) I was a mathematics major who had already changed from an engineering major So I think the sexiest career they were offering me was something like an actuary scientist. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't sound good. Very exciting. Yeah. I was like, no, nothing against them. I just, it just wasn't the thing I wanted to do. I wanted something (laughs) a little more engaged with people. So it just so happened I had been tutoring some kids in mathematics as a part of my fraternity's service going into high schools. And there were a couple of kids there who were really struggling And I worked with them over a period of time. And at the end of the semester, they just they came back and said, hey, you know, because of working with you, I was able to increase my grade from failing to like a B plus or B. And, you know, I was like, I said, no way. And they said, oh, yeah, absolutely. So I just said, oh, maybe I should be in education. So I signed up for a couple of education classes right at the end of my, you know, my four year undergraduate career. And I ended up getting a scholarship to the Ohio State University, Go Bucks, to study mathematics education. And much to the chagrin of my advisor, who would have rather I have gone in like a degree in mathematics or maybe been a PhD in mathematics. And I just said, I, I'm just not feeling that. And so that began my journey. I started teaching right after that first master's in 1994. Really loved teaching. I found it to be challenging and demanding and rewarding all at the same time. And I did that for about four years and started to take courses uh, there in Columbus, Ohio, which is where I got started. And I was eventually leaning toward becoming an administrator. And I, as a result of learning and continuing to engage with people around these interesting ideas, I ended up wanting to still wanting to get a PhD, but was really thinking of the idea of extending my learning into the professorate. So so that's my journey. There's more there. I, I got my first assistant prof job right out of Ohio State, still in Ohio at the uh, University of Cincinnati. And the rest, as they say, is, is history. So I've been moving around and about for the last 22 years in, in higher education. But prior to that, I spent some time in K-12 education, really, really enjoying the idea of engaging with learning and being a learner. And I also had this uh, issue that I never really wanted to leave school. So education made sense to me. You know, so to be in higher education means I've never really left school. 
Yes, I think that's amazing. And I resonate with so many parts of your stories. I too actually was a math major. I was a math and English major in college, and I could never really decide between the two. And also, and I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do after college. You know, I just like doing both these things. And I also like being in school. And then I kind of stumbled into like, I couldn't get into an advanced English class. And so I had to take this education class, which at first I was like, what? I don't know. Like, that doesn't interest me. And then loved it. And like from that one class, we're like, all right, I'm changing it up. I'm going to go forward. Like I can combine them both, the math, English, everything into education. But yeah, I totally resonate with that of just being like letting it kind of unfold and go through it. And also the part where you were like, I thought I was going to be an administrator. You know, I often talk to teachers who we feel very limited by the options out there, right? Of like, I could be a teacher, I could be an administrator. I don't want to leave school or education either. But when I started being like, I don't know if I want to be a teacher in the classroom forever, it just felt really limiting to me. So I appreciate you talking about the, you know, things that came up for you along that way. Yes, absolutely. So tell us what you do now. Yes. So I am the Christian Johnson Endeavor Professor in Education Leadership at Teachers College, Columbia University. That's a mouthful, you know what they say. Not great though. <laughs> the, the longer the title, the least important the person is, or something like that. But, <laughs> but yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's. I'm really honored to be serving in that role, and uh, as a result, I get to engage with some exciting and motivating people who are my students. Of course, I teach courses like uh, leadership for social justice. I've taught a popular course on the uh, school to prison pipeline. And just this past summer, just a, just a couple of weeks ago, I finished a course for leaders called Law and Ethics, which I co-taught with a, a friend and colleague from, from many years back, uh, Laura McNeil. So it's just really, really exciting to teach those courses and to, to do that kind of work. And just for the next, oh, four or five days, I'll be stepping out of the role of the department chair, uh, the Department of Organization and Leadership. So, so I've had a chance over the years to serve as a professor, but also to extend my repertoire of things that I engage in around leadership. So studying leadership has been great, but it's also been enlightening to engage in leadership at multiple levels. So yes, I've done all of, all of the above and, and very excited to be able to return and focus a bit more on the uh, research, not exclusively, but put a large amount of attention on that You know now. Yes, those courses sound amazing and so valuable. I love hearing about them and would love to hear more about your research too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there are a few focus areas for my research. Since early on, I've been doing work with principals. So so the principalship has been just a, a foundational area of study for me. But I, I've moved it into a couple of different directions. And one of those has been anti-racist leadership which really gives me the opportunity to engage with leaders around uh, their conceptualization of race and how it impacts their practice. But that, that concept has also been expanded with me doing work with some, some other colleagues uh, around this concept of culturally responsive school leadership, which we got a chance to do an exciting literature review as an initial study of that some years back, I guess about five or, five or so years, years back. And uh, we moved that into a direction where we could really see what was happening in the literature in a broader cultural lens and understand a little bit more how leaders bring that work into their space, enacted in schools through concepts like critical consciousness, really supporting cultural responsive pedagogy in classrooms and teachers who engage in that work. And then last but not least, 
Uh, as I hinted to earlier, I do work on legal issues in education, which I, again, find exciting and relevant. And I'm able to bring that to my students in a way that initially I'm not sure if they think is going to be exciting, but once they get into it, it's, it's just really so great to see them engaging with all these cryptic terms in the law and understanding how it applies to their work as leaders. And one of the things that's really interesting in our country, and your listeners will appreciate this, is as a country, we do very little to educate teachers about the law. Mm -hmm. And so many teacher prep programs have no courses. I, I would venture to say most <laughs> have no courses in law at all. And so when teachers are in the classroom and they're engaging with students who, for some reason, have a penchant for picking up different legal terms and saying we have rights and there's this case called Tinker versus Des Moines and we've heard that we have First Amendment rights and you can't do that and you can't. And so teachers sometimes are like, oh, my God, I'm, yeah. I don't know that stuff. That Could they? And so that is a, a big challenge that we need to be aware of. Many, if not most, leadership prep programs have law courses, but uh, but not all, not all. We we actually use some research in the class that points to that issue. And so it's an exciting course, but it's one that we need to expand on the presentation of those ideas. But it's also an exciting area of research for me as well. Yes, absolutely. I've never really even thought about that before, which is my own ignorance. You know, I didn't ever have any law classes. I got my master's at UC Berkeley, like many, many years ago in education nothing about law and was one of those teachers you talk about, you know, being feeling like I don't speak this law legal language. <laughs> it all seems like I was a kindergarten teacher. I don't, I don't know the language around this, but that, that is a barrier, right? Like mm -hmm. being able to have an understanding, being able to at least understand or access that language of the law yes. is so beneficial and allows teachers, educators, leaders to have so much more power in a conversation. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's fascinating. Sure. And so switching kind of to the educator role, I know you mentioned working a lot with school leaders around access, equity. Can you talk a little bit about how educators can increase educational equity? Absolutely. So I would say like one of the first things educators can do is just work on really increasing or raising their awareness about the inequities in the U.S. because I find that people have kind of this inherent understanding and belief that there may be inequities, but oftentimes they get sort of outside noise saying, you know, that's not really a thing. And that's just sort of these people crying victimization. So as educators, if they're really serious about learning more about educational inequities, they need to raise their awareness about the inequities in the United States. Beyond that, once you start to educate yourself in that way, you have to commit to a journey towards equity, which starts with self-inspection. I always say to people, it's, it, you really have to think about this way of being that asks questions about how am I in America benefiting from certain inequities and how am I being marginalized? And, and so once you can start to go through that, once again, that's for raising that inequity, but it's also giving you a structured way to think about it. Once you get there, you have to recognize that you must do something to disrupt the inequitable system. I mean, once you discover that it is there, and I, I have a full faith and believe if people open their minds up and start to study this, they will see it. And once you see it, you have to commit to disrupting it. And if you don't do that, 
if you just stop at raising awareness, if you just stop at feeling more comfortable, getting uncomfortable, if I'm feeling more comfortable having these difficult conversations, all things that are necessary, but not sufficient. You must do something to move toward disrupting inequities. And if you do not, then you really have have done something like have a really rich conversation that have left these uh, status quo things in place and things that have continued to marginalize kids for so many years will still be in place. And, and so we have to do that. We interrogate the system for the purpose of disrupting the inequities. Absolutely. And I'm curious if you have any advice for teachers who feel like they're ready to do that and maybe their school systems aren't. Yes. Good question. Well, you know, I know we're late, we are later going to talk about five practices for equity-focused school leadership. But Move it in now. <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly recommend that people grab my book and just go through those steps because those five practices give give teachers and leaders, and I just say I generally I usually generally use the term leaders because I'm thinking about folks as leaders for equity. It gives them an opportunity to go through a framework that is set up to help them develop an approach uh, that doesn't include them just doing the work. So so case in point. So in the book, we talk about a first step. And I want to be clear because I always say this when I'm talking to leaders, I feel like they're leaders by position. And we've already talked about principles. We've already talked about assistant principles to some extent or leaders in general, superintendents or so on and so forth. But they're leaders by passion. There are folks who say, I want to become a better educator. I want to stand up and fight for those students who have been marginalized. Those folks, I say, are passionate about this work and they're the ones we want to bring into this conversation as well. So. If that happens to be one of your listeners, and I'm hoping this, all of your listeners, one of the first things is leaders must prioritize equity. They have to make sure that it's at the forefront of what they do. They have to also be clear that they're prioritizing equity um, because once they're developing that understanding and awareness, as we talked about earlier, they get a chance to start to see those inequities and then they can move toward a transformative vision. I mean, that's the thing we were saying earlier, like how do I transform that system? How do I change it? You know, how do I disrupt those practices? Well, the second thing is you have to prepare yourself for really moving into a space where you interrogate who you are as a being living in this space, living with particular identities in your body. And so as a result of that, you you ask questions about around race, for instance. We talk about the different identities, like doing the work around interrogating race in your life and understanding that intellectual work and the emotional work that goes in that process. So prioritize, prepare yourself for the intellectual and emotional work. And then the third one is, uh, I would like to say in a humorous way, you need to assemble a team, you know, kind of like the Avengers. You want to bring together folks who can support you in this work. This is very difficult work. It is emotionally taxing, even though people will start to discover many things about themselves and recognize where they are within this this racial hierarchy, I'm putting up my quotes for people who can't see me, uh, but but it gives them a chance to understand that. And I, I put the racial hierarchy in quotes because for some people, they say, oh, that's not real. That's kind of an outdated thing. But it very much is this thing that we sort of look toward when we map inequities on to people. And I'm speaking of this by race. In the book, we talk about five others as well, like socioeconomic status, gender identity, and sexual orientation. We go through a number of those different types of identities. And there are exercises 
where folks who pick up the book will get a chance to work through those individually, but can also do that with colleagues. Next, there's change. I mean, this work is really about understanding that there's a change process that happens when you engage in equity. And I always say equity work is like change work on steroids. You're asking people to do something fundamentally different. Yes, it is a type of education reform, but you're really looking at folks to do like a needs assessment, understanding what's wrong. There are also tools that are discussed in the book, like engaging in the equity audit, for instance, so that we have some understanding going beyond what I said earlier, that inherent inequity and recognizing there's a systematic way that we can ask questions. There's a systematic way that we can collect our own data as a team, which is highly recommended in the book, so that people won't argue with their own data, but they also recognize that we're doing this work together and we're going to approach these issues together as we work towards solutions. And then last but not least, developing the work in a way that is sustainable. It's very important that folks understand that equity work is something you should engage in on a daily basis. You know, it's something that needs to be a part of your routines. There's also a discussion of, you know, what are the roles you play in being a person who dismantles equity and what are the routines that you build into some of uh, your teaming, for instance. And so doing that a little bit each and every day ensures that it's kept at the forefront. And I said a little each day, at least a little each day. I mean, obviously, there are bigger tasks than others on other days, but you just want to make sure, and my point is, that it becomes a part of the system that you're using to break down an inequitable system. So 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 very important there. And I know there's a lot of content in that one. So, so I'll stop talking in case there's another question and a follow-up you may have. No, I love that. Thank you for walking us through the five, because I think... Again, you know, I work with many teachers who feel like they want to do equity work. They want to do work that's aligned to, you know, what they truly believe. And they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily part of a larger group who wants to do that. So I think hearing these five, you know, you can form your own group, right? Where it's like, even if your school is not, you know, having this at the forefront, you can, as a teacher, you know, team up with some folks, follow the five practices and really commit to doing that going forward, even within a system that maybe you don't feel supported to do that with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, yeah, definitely recommend checking out the book of five practices for equity focused school leadership. And it seems like it would be helpful for both school leaders and also classroom teachers, educators who want to learn more about doing equity work. Absolutely. I got the pleasure to work with a school district that I believe is one of the ones at the forefront of thinking they're saying I had done some work with their principals and assistant principals. And they were saying, you know, we had this really great term. So we would like to have some equity focus ambassadors. And so, oh, tell me more. And, and so we talked through what that plan would look like. And they wanted to bring in some teachers, some folks who were equity leaders at their respective schools and just had a, a wonderful time engaging with them. And they really embraced the work and they felt like really special, like, wow, somebody cares about what we think. And they had really wonderful ideas that really intersected in powerful ways with the curriculum and raised really rich questions. So I can say to you, over the time we spent together for two days, there was not a dull moment where they were so engaged and excited about the work. So uh, so it was just wonderful to, to hear that and see that. And I encourage people to uh, look for those opportunities, even if within your school, you, you can't build a critical mass, essentially. There are communities. I mean, there are a number of online communities as well where folks are encouraging each other in the work. 
And so I would recommend that, you know, that's another way to build in and enhance that, that learning as your listeners go forward in doing the work. Absolutely. And having that agency to move forward and form that community, you know, and create the things that you want to see out there, I think is really powerful. Absolutely. And so changing gears a little bit, I would love to hear you reflect on kind of what you've learned about yourself personally through your journey in education. Yes. So that's such a good question. I would say one of the things I've learned is this idea of, and it sounds cliched sometimes, but just the importance of being a learner, right? One of the things I've I've come to understand about me over the years is I like being in the educational space or I'm forever in school, as they say, because I'm still excited about the prospect of learning new things and applying new things. And so, you know, I'm at the right place and, and there's always something to be learned and something to move forward in conversation, something to build onto and a way to to make a difference. I think this work can be overwhelming. And, and I gave a hint to this earlier is I still, I'm happy to say I still get inspiration from my students. It just so happens nowadays, my students are teachers, leaders, and you know, district leaders and building leaders who lead students themselves, but they're still inspirational. I mean, I, I just get excited when they show up for sessions, if it, whether it's something online or whether it's in person, on top of everything that they need to do. As I said to you earlier, teaching was one of those most rewarding things, but challenging and it's so demanding, right? It was it was just when I first started teaching, I was single and and I, I just remember working all the time and my kids and my colleagues would laugh at me because my briefcase would get bigger like every, I think every like <laughs> semester until eventually I had one of those encyclopedia cases. Where it's just, you know, I just had all this stuff and they'd be like, Mr. what are you doing? What's in that book? I said, you know, all of my work. I'm going, like, what are you doing? That you? I, said, I just, I feel like I take everything home. So it was just, it was hilarious, but it's, it's kind of how I felt. Like I was just, you know, walking around. It was such an honor and, but it was also a challenge because mm-hmm. I always felt like, it was in the space of trying to catch up and do more, but it was always at that point, I would get some rich quote or some statement when I felt like, oh man, you know, you, you always think you're not doing enough, but then there would be that student who would say, oh no, you were like my favorite teacher and you, you showed us this and we talked about this. I'm a little more motivated about math. And and I was, oh yeah. And so, it, it you know, certainly it there's a tension between those two things. So, uh, so yeah, those are, Things I've learned, I, I had I had like some other thoughts here, but essentially that's it. I, they, I'll end with this statement. And, you know, even as I've learned a lot, I still believe that in this work, I have to be humble in my presentation of ideas. I've learned over the years that the content is difficult, but it's okay to laugh, right? It's okay to engage people around this and there's some seriousness in moving them toward that point. So be humble in presentation but assertive in describing the realities of inequities. And in the middle of that, you know, we can motivate and inspire a lot, a lot more folks by remembering the humanity of, of people who come to these sessions, right? There's one of the things we say in the book, and it's, you know, don't freeze people in time. And I found so many educators, really, that resonates with them because in the process of public learning or learning out loud, we know we're going to make mistakes, but nobody wants to be frozen at that point where I made that mistake, right? 
mm-hmm. and we all say crazy things. You know, we forget stuff. It, nobody wants to be remembered that way. And 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 Brian Stevenson has just you know a wonderful quote from his book where he says, "Each of us is larger than our worst mistake." Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I say that to people in sessions, and just as a reminder that you know you can make a mistake here, but we're not going to, you know put the scarlet letter on you or get your t-shirt and talk about the mistake you made. Unless, you know, you're that kind of person that you want something like that. <laughs> Most <laughs> people don't. So we're not, we're not planning to do something like that. And, and that really just, you can see like the tension of people say, Oh, well, I can sit here and learn it because I really want to know about this. I really want to be a better teacher. And I do believe this is the way to go, but we have to be mindful of that because so many people have made this work about conflict. Mm-hmm. So many folks have made it about, division. And mm-hmm. while some of the ideas are going to challenge some folks and they're going to bring up some things that are going to make people uncomfortable, it's not necessarily divisive automatically. It's those folks not wanting to deal with it who tend to scream loud, but I have found are not the majority. They will imply they are the majority, but they are not. And so, as I said before, ended with that point, I'm motivated and inspired by the teachers who show up to do the work and who ask me the hard questions and who, who are looking for the resources in me. Those are the heroes. Those are the folks who are inspiring me to continue doing the work, uh, even when it gets difficult. Yes, I love that. That's so beautiful. Don't freeze people in time. You know, and I would even encourage you, like, don't freeze yourself in time too. Yeah. You know, that that fits in a lot to your initial reflection to me of just keeping on learning too. That we always, you know, ideally are keeping on exploring, trying new things, going into the difficult conversations, you know, moving forward with that understanding that it's all dynamic, you know, it's it's not frozen. And so I think it also makes me think of classroom teaching, you know, with K-12 education, too, of the classroom culture that you want to build, you know. We want people to take risks. We want people to make mistakes. We want people to feel comfortable saying something that they regret, you know, and being able to recover from that and being like, all right, no, actually, you know, I didn't mean it that way or I regret what I said, you know, and creating that culture with adults too, I think is harder sometimes. Oh, yes. So I think that's also something that's really interesting to think about, you know, going forward with teachers, you know. And how we can be educators and teachers in so many different ways. And it's always those same fundamentals, you know, of that class culture, of the pushing people to kind of like their zone of proximal development in whatever way that that looks and facilitating those conversations throughout. Absolutely. Well, thinking about you've, you know, done many things inside, outside of the classroom. And much of our audience on the podcast are teachers who maybe want to be K-12 classroom teachers and expand their impact in some way, mm-hmm. or they maybe want to transition and aren't ready to leave education, but don't really know what they want to do next. What advice do you have for folks who want to expand their impact beyond the classroom? Yes, yes. Wonderful question. I can say over my, man, I hesitate to say this, but I, think I can say the years out loud, over my 20, <laughs> 26 years of formally teaching. Uh, yeah. Across multiple levels, one thing I'll say generally, depending on where you where your re- listeners want to go, being an educator can take you just into a variety of opportunities or, or places that are new and exciting. And I think the success is really increased directly in correlation with your openness to learn. I say it is kind of a well kept secret that you know teachers can do a number of things that other people still a little bit nervous about. Like, I love working with teachers because when it's time to express ideas, 
And when they go to town, it's just like all over the place. Like, you know, and I'm just like, I work with folks who are not teachers. I won't say which professions, but it's got, you know, it's got sometimes they look a little stoked. Like, oh, what are you, what are you asking us to do? You know, my, my favorite, you know, I know you've been an elementary teacher. You were, I love elementary teachers because they bring the excitement like right off. I mean, it's, I could be like, uh oh, like my excitement level is too low. <laughs> two things I appreciate about working and facilitating workshops with elementary teachers. One, they're going to bring the excitement more often than not. I can't remember a time when they didn't. And second, whenever we start to get in the chart paper and write it down, they always had those little dots on the letters. I said, I said elementary teacher, even when they're mixed groups, they do their thing, right? And so, <laughs> but that's all of those are like skill sets around facilitating groups, engaging with people outside of education. I mean, all of that I think is available to educators. Some of the fundamental conceptualizations of leadership, I think they move from a space of teaching, at least for me. I've seen serious overlap in my research writing and in my teaching and presenting that there are things that I learned as a teacher that people tend to say, well, how did you know to do that? Or where did you get that from? I I started teaching middle school kids and I would do that with them. Like, and guess what? It works with adults. And I was like, wow. So, (laughs) you know, you can teach almost just a a broad range of folks or you can facilitate a, a large degree of sessions and types of sessions. I've been a master of ceremony. I've been a facilitator. I've given keynote speeches. None of those things, uh, let me say it a different way. All of those things that I've done have been improved by the fact that I started out as a classroom teacher. Mm -hmm. And so I I think that we too often don't recognize all of the, you know, this rich array of skill set, skills that teachers bring and then the many things that you have to do, not to mention organization, self-motivation, staying healthy. You know, I have a 16-year-old daughter and, you know, I would tell her like every year I would get sick at the beginning of the year. My kids would get me sick. And after that, I was good. And I was like, it's something like my body learned to just, this is how the immune system works. I'm going to go, go, go. I'm going to get sick and then I'm going to be good. Yeah. Like, obviously, I had to get my rest throughout the year, but it's things that I can go on and on that I think once we take those skills and map them into other spaces, they're very useful. I recognize in the higher ed space, and I'll say this as a last point, what's helped me uh, in terms of becoming a professor who is courageous enough to try things in my classroom and make it more engaging for my students there is the fact that I had previous experience teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've worked at multiple institutions and we sometimes take it for granted in the colleges of education that people who are teaching, I'll just say mathematics, for instance, know how to teach. Sometimes they do, but oftentimes that's their first time standing in front of people. They don't have inherently otherwise all the things that you need as a teacher, whereas, whereas for many of us, who had already had those experiences and were confident at the K-12 space as professors, we didn't have that as a challenge. So it's a long answer, but you know. I love it. No, it's great. I mean, I think that when I was teaching, I didn't realize all the things that I was learning along the way. I think partially because as you've alluded to, teaching is never done (laughs) and I never had time to reflect, right? And so it wasn't until I was in different circumstances, you know, doing similar things where I, like you, you know, 
teaching adults, uh, but using similar strategies to what I did as a kindergarten teacher mm-hmm. or seeing people who hadn't been teachers, you know, really struggling to keep track of multiple projects. And I was like, oh, I'm used to keeping track of, you know, 30 kindergartners and all these things. And it's nowhere near as hard. And so really getting that chance to kind of reflect. And of course, we're all different and have unique experiences and perspectives to bring, but having a chance for everybody to just reflect on what you've learned through teaching and how that could go forward and wherever you want to go next. Absolutely. Well, I'd love for you to share with folks how people can connect with you. Yes, yes. You can reach me at my website, which is goodenphd.com. That's G-O-O-D-E-N-P-H-D, as in doctorate of philosophy.com. That same handle is good on Twitter. Just put the at symbol in front of it. So at good and PhD. And then again on Instagram, which my handle is just once again, good and PhD as it is. We'd love to hear from people. Uh, and if they are old school, which is kind of old school now, you want to do email. I'm kind of stealing the email. Some of my students are like, email? <laughs> I'll just DM you like, what? Like, okay, well, you can do Mark, M-A-R-K at goodandphd.com. Wonderful. We'll put the links to all of this in the show notes as well. But thank you so much for coming on and sharing more about your experience, your research, your passions. It was really great to have you. Thank you, Lily. It's been a pleasure. Want to figure out your next step as an educator? Watch our free on-demand workshop and embrace a career pathway that works for you. Go to educatorforever.com slash workshop. You'll get introduced to the many options for flexible, rewarding work beyond the classroom and make a plan for landing jobs.